The lovely Debbie McGee joins us on this week's How To Be 60 to tell us how Strictly gave her her mojo back after the loss of her beloved husband, Paul Daniels. Yeah, however much I loved working with Paul, magic was his passion. Uh-huh. Dance was mine. Mm. And so Strictly brought all of what I had when I was young kind of back. And I'm wondering how to be 60. It's scaring the shit out of me. Hello, everyone, and a very warm welcome to the How To Be 60 podcast with me, Kay Adams, and my wonderful, slightly eccentric, but incredibly endearing friend and colleague, Karen McKenzie, who I might say is looking extremely fit and well for a woman of... How old are you again? Is that because I've got my cycle jacket on? No, I'm I'm just, I'm trying to be nice. I'm 63 next month. Are you? Mm -hmm. What was the date of your birthday? 7-12-59. So that was you a bit quick. You're saying it. You're saying it really quick, so people don't get the numbers, aren't you? It's, do you know what annoyed me was at the end of a decade, at the end of a year. So it was like December '59. Oh God, if it only could have been '60. You know, 1960 ran in '59. Do you think that would have made a difference? No. <laughs> it just feels like I'm a 50s child, even though I'm not as December 59. But anyway, there we are. All oh, right, so you could have been a child of the 60s yes. rather than a child of the 50s. Yeah, 50s sound like I'm like oh. really old. Anyway. You were supposed to not be bothered about age. I am bothered about age. I'm absolutely fine. You've just pulled me into it <laughs> in some horrible way. The 7th of December. I'll remember that. I'll really? Will you send that. me a card? Um, no. I might. You never know. I might. Um, no. I won't bake you a cake because that'll be doing you a favour, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. You don't want one of my cakes. No, you're right. No, no. I was I was trying to be really nice to you today because uh-huh. I am aware that last week I was in a foul mood. Um, I have to say they're getting more and more key. What the foul Your moods? Your foul moods, yeah. I think so. It's certainly in the last two or three weeks. Well, do you know what? I think you're right. And I think it was strictly come down. Um, right. but, well, yeah, I suppose that is to be. But I am but beginning to come out of it. I, yeah. I mean, this week... You do look a wee bit rosier today. Do I? Good. I, this, yeah. I just... It was the last couple of days. I just started to feel... I listened to this wonderful podcast. It's, I shouldn't promote other people's podcasts, but it's Mary Portis, who I've got a bit of a crush on. Oh, right. I love her. She's right. got a podcast called Beautiful Misfits. And it just talks about really big ideas. You know, it's a really sort of... Big idea Positive. podcast. And, well, not necessarily, but she's such a bright woman. Mm-hmm. And this particular podcast, she was just, um, she was talking about ego and how we get wrapped up in ego and how we can get too sort of into ourselves. And mm-hmm. actually, uh, you need to think about what you can do to to change yourself, to change the world, to make a difference. You know, it was one of those kind of podcasts. And I just thought, you know, get over yourself. You've been so wrapped up and being so pissed off about being shunted out of Strictly. You oh, need wow. to give yourself a slap. And it cheered me up. Oh, my God. Did you give yourself a slap? Well, metaphorically, metaphorically speaking. I mean, even to the point that, you know, like last week when I complained about those stupid pictures that you sent me of your oat cakes, and I was very I miserable about that. Now, this week Thank you me. sent me pictures of a soap holder that you'd put up. Yeah, I was in delighted your with that. Yeah. And a toilet roll holder. I was delighted with that as well. And a tube of something called Sticks Like Shit. I know, I'd never heard of that before. No, and I thought, well, that's lovely. <laughs> I know, well, I'm delighted with my wee uh, DIY projects. I got, I had um, a downstairs loo and I put a, a, a wet room in it. Basically for the dog, <laughs> so oh. that she can come straight and get a shower, and then she's not that mucky. But it's for us as well. And uh, when you sit in the loo, 
oh god, the toilet roll holders in the wrong bit, and it was really annoying me. I had to really twist my body around. And I thought there's a very simple solution to that: swap them over. So it meant drilling into a tile. And can I just say I've now drilled into a tile, and you need to put a wee bit of uh, tape up so the the drill bit doesn't skid off the tile. So I've done that. And on the other bit, I didn't have the right size drill bit. Am I boring you yet? So I thought a I'm going to buy this glue sticks like shit and try it. Is it actually called that? It is something like that. It's weird. But do you know what it does? What it says on the, on the box? Well, there you go. I'm in such a good mood that I've listened to that story. I know, and you didn't interrupt. I didn't interrupt. I didn't tell you God. it was boring. No, you didn't. No. Is it, a, is it does that come later? Well, that's what I'm saying. No, no, I'm just I'm just in a, in a better mood. Because I'm, I'm slightly distracted by a hair and I'm going to pull it. Now, is it under my chin? No, don't neck. do it under my chin because that's a whisker. Right. Yeah, no, no, do don't. Appear. No, it's no. not actually. No. no, it's this one. Oh, right, okay. But, oh, my goodness. But, um, they do appear under your chin, don't they? Yes, I've got one here. Can you see it? That's yeah. a, I can see it now. Yeah, that yeah, yeah. That is a sign. That, that doesn't what do you do bit. with it? Well, I just clip it every day. Do you? You don't tweeze it out? Yeah, yeah. You do, yeah, yeah. right? right. Yeah. So that's, there you go. You've got the benefit of my sunny nature now. Yes. Testosterone levels. But that's not to do with testosterone, is it? Your hairy bits. Are you listening? Yeah, I mean, I've got the benefit of your sunny level, sunny something or other, sunny person, oh, whatever it is. Blue minute, blue Sunshine. Minute. Sunshine. Well, we're going to speak to... Um, oh, gosh, Debbie? It's so, it's so tempting to say the lovely Debbie McGee, and I bet Debbie gets really pissed off with that because it's the way that she has always introduced. Um, she obviously had a very different experience to me on Strictly. She went all the way to the final. Uh, oh, she did Giovanni very well. Panici, wonderfully well. Mm-hmm. 2017. But, of course, that was the year after she lost her husband, uh, mm-hmm. Paul Daniels. So that mm-hmm. must have been... Mm-hmm. An incredibly intense experience. I can't even begin uh, to imagine. Um, we've got some emails to read out before we speak to Debbie, but I believe mm-hmm. you have a new hobby. Well, <laughs> I've not quite started it yet, but I've applied to a local Amdram group, an amateur dramatics group. I have no idea why. I think I just thought I need to get out of the house in the evenings. Right. But they're not to say they've accepted me yet because I got an email last night saying, um, thanks for your interest. Uh, you'll be basically interviewed by a couple of the board members and you'll have to do an audition for wow. a, a, a piece you're choosing. And I just thought, oh, for God's sakes, can I not just, I don't know what. Anyway, yeah, I suppose you have to go through an audition. So that's kind of any ideas what I could do. It's got to be something that reflects my personality. I can't be a bit of Shakespeare, <laughs> Don't can tempt it? me. Do not tempt <laughs> Sticks me. like shit. <laughs> <laughs> but God, listen, well done you. Well, I've done it, yeah. I've not even gone, you know. No, but when, have you not said before that when you were young and leaving yep. school, you wanted to be an actor? Yes, and then when I was in my early 20s, I went to the conservatoire. It wasn't called that then. It was the RACMD. Did an audition. And it was a pinter piece and you had to do a wee Shakespeare piece as well. Then you had to go back at one o'clock to see on the notice board whether you'd made it through. And I just thought, I can't go back. My name might not be up there. So I never did. Really? Yeah. And yep. did you ever find out if your name was up there? No. Oh my God, Karen. <laughs> I know. Isn't that funny? I know. What? So something's still there. What is it that age, though, that makes you... It's funny, because I kind of wanted to do that. And I got an addition with uh, the National Youth Theatre. And I went along and I always remember, I think it was Sir Peter Shaw. I mean, it was the big guy who happened to do the auditions in, in Edinburgh. And I turned up and I was so, it's not just nervous, yes. it's self-conscious. Like every cell in your body is screaming. And I had my duffel coat on. I don't know how I'm even repeating this. I went in with my duffel coat hood up. Oh, <laughs> 
I mean, honestly, oh in front of these three people, I had prepared the piece, but I was so oh, gripped by nerves okay. that I, I don't think I actually said anything. I didn't take my duffel coat hood down. <laughs> Sir Peter Shaw, whatever, said, OK, on you go. Let's have your piece. Oh, I froze. God, I turned round and I left the room. Oh, no. So you never did anything. In fact, I'm blushing. Can you remember how old you were? I was 17. Sixteen. Sixteen. Oh my yeah. god. Yeah. Isn't and it's funny? it's funny like, you know, having kids now mm-hmm. and I can see everything everything is heightened with them. Every emotion is heightened. Mm-hmm. And actually my eldest is very like me and I can relate to her so much just now with that acute sort of sense of other people and where she is, etc. that she has. And like I still have it, but it just gets dulled over the years, doesn't mm-hmm. it? You just you just get the edges knocked off you. Mm-hmm. But when I see her going through it, it funny, it made Oof. me remember that yeah. occasion that yeah. everything in me was going alert, alert, alert. Heightened. I can't do it. I can't expose myself. Yeah. I can't be judged. I, you know, and actually going back to Strictly, I think that's what I found so difficult was that being judged and, you know, oh, I don't know. It must have brought something up. Something weird. It is PTSD, isn't it? I, I think it is. Anyway, well, I'm looking well done, and I'm looking forward to hearing how you get on. Well, with you don't hear any more about it. You'll Can know. I just say, don't go wearing a duffel coat because you'll be so tempted to keep the hood up. And um, Can I wear my cycle jacket. With my don't go pack? like that There's because no hood on it, you look like a traffic cone. Do not go in that bright orange jacket. It's not going to work. Well, it's coral for a kicker. <laughs> I've just stopped being nice, haven't I? (laughs) It didn't last long, did it? Um, We've got emails in uh, from Laura. She describes herself as a 42-year-old menopausal woman with no doctor listening to me or the signs from my body. Aches, pains, flushes, brain fog, no libido. My peach is more like a prune, she says. Oh, that's a shame. 42. Why is it happens to your bum as you get older? Why does it slide underneath? Anyway, we'll come back to that in another day. Yours is quite good, It is, and Caroline tells me that. Yeah, you have. I've got quite a good butt for your age. I've worked at it. Really? Mm-hmm. Right, okay. Um, I give you a... You know, usually I pursue right. these avenues, but for some reason I'm going to treat that one as a cul-de-sac and I'm going to come right back again. I think that's advisable. <laughs> Laura carries on. I just want to say I'm loving the podcast. Love hearing all of Karen's antics, both past and present. But Kay, come on, give some of you away. <laughs> I yes. need more, please. Please let Karen interview you. God, I would love that. I listen on my dog walk every Friday and I laugh the way around the park. Give me more. Karen doesn't listen to me, Laura. She just drifts off. She's not interested. I, but I would be if you gave me in to go on. Well, you, well, listen, what I'll say to everyone is, mm-hmm. you know, the email address is podcast at htb60.com. I am perfectly happy to answer any questions. <laughs> With your questions. Honestly, if there is anything you want to know that I'm supposed to be revealing, Feel free to get your emails in. I will even give the emails to Karen. Oh, that's good. If you, yeah, yeah, you and know I will could give be... her control of them. So yeah. there you go. That's my offer. You know, don't... I think a wee session, just a wee, um, not discussion, debate. Just I was going to say probe K, but then yeah. who would want to do that? Well, my <laughs> age. Um, and this one is from Jackie. Says I'm loving your podcast. I listen every week, and you both have me in stitches laughing at these stories and antics. Terrible, isn't it? Reading out nice things about yourself. It feels it, it feels uh, very uh, Scottish. Uh, no one you're supposed uh, to you do know, that, and you're very self-indulgent. It's so thank you for that. Uh, it says I was 60 in August, and I had a party. I don't mm. complain about my age because there's lots of people 
people who don't make it to this age. Um, these days, 60 is not old, so I'm celebrating and I'm going to enjoy every moment doing what I want to do. Uh, I completely agree with Carol Smiley and Kathy Lett about their outlook in life. Uh, as I said, I'm very content, comfortable with how I look. I've tried diets, etc. I'm overweight, uh, but I've decided this is it and I accept myself for who I am. Uh-huh. She says, also, I'm listening at the moment to you speaking to Carol from Orkney. Horny. <laughs> Horny, Carol from <laughs> Horny, who we spoke to last week. She was 60. Oh, my God. Surprisingly, I am also having a clear out. I have so much stuff and I keep thinking, why do I keep all this stuff? My sons don't need the hassle of clearing it out when I go. Uh-huh. Not that I intend to anytime soon. It wouldn't mean anything to them. And so that's Jackie's email. I am also in that mood of having a clear out. Of stuff. Maybe it's there is something feeling. to do about this age. I don't know. I've got my mum's crystal chandelier, right? It sits on the floor behind me in my study. And was it in her their living room? Yeah. Wow. And any Zoom calls that I do, I've got this chandelier sitting on the floor. I know it looks it makes the house look a complete tip. I don't know what to do with it. Because it I've nowhere fit, to hang it. It wouldn't fit in the ceiling, no? No, there's nowhere to put it. But I can't get rid of it because of my mum's chandelier. And it's like, what is that attachment that you have to stuff mm-hmm. why can't I say look mum I'm sorry I don't know what would I have to apologise to my mum she's not even here you know it's such an odd thing I know actually I've got the same with um, we're clearing out my family home in Delmore at the moment and, and it was my dad's medals and my mother's medals and oh, what do you do with them do you frame them because you do, you're not going to I don't know what you do with them but I mm. And they're Their unlikely ends. to mean as much to your children. Oh, they would not be. Yeah, I mean, they're so, not. So, so what are we? I know, I know. It's a guilt thing. I'm not quite sure that you hang on to things, or I don't know. I don't mm. know. But listen, it is actually a very pertinent moment to bring in Debbie, exactly. who's been sitting listening, uh, because. Debbie is about to have a sale of some of uh, yes. Paul's magic props and memorabilia. Uh, Debbie, hi, how are you? I'm good, thank you. You've both been making me laugh so much. Uh, thank you for your patience sitting through. We're like hinge and bracket, aren't we? Oh, well, yeah, something like that. Laurel and Hardy, I was thinking of. <laughs> Dumb and dumber. Dumb and dumber. <laughs> that is much more like it. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, do, do you relate to, to that? You you know, in terms of this this clearing out, Debbie? Yeah, totally. I mean, you know, Paul, it'll be seven years in March since I lost Paul. And up until this year, there's no way I could have let anything go, really. I'd given the old book and stuff to his sons and a few bits. But um, I think it's because they're a comfort. It's like they're still with you. Do you think? their stuff Mm. I you know I I don't think it's anything else other than that I you know some people when they lose somebody they sell everything or they get rid of everything immediately because they can't bear to look at it because it reminds them of that person so much um but I had the opposite feeling I wasn't I wasn't holding on to Paul I just felt all his stuff which I've still got although I'm having a sale it's all the things that were just stored in a great big shed in the garden that actually I hardly ever have been into since he died. Um, and so I feel like I should pass his legacy on. Mm. So, and also I, you know, it's unfair of me to just store it all in the shed. 
And so his sons and his grandson and nephews and things, there are certain things that they're going to get. Um, some now and some when I go. So I haven't sort of, it's not suddenly I've got rid of everything of Paul's. It's mm. just this whole body of life. But for me, and I've catalogued it all myself, going through it all was like going through our life together because especially all the tricks and things, I think, oh yeah, that's what we did then. And we did that in this show. And it it was quite traumatic at first because it felt like I was giving him away Mm. and then I realized that actually this is the right thing to do you can't hold on to stuff forever and the same as what you said Karen about well when you go somebody else has got to then do that job so I've actually really enjoyed going through all the books and I had to stop myself from reading them and going through everything before I let go of it all. What about the, the house Debbie because some people would move house I don't know. I'm just, I love this house. We, when we bought it, we changed it completely. So everything about this house, Paul and I did between us. And also I live in a great community and you can't buy that. You know, we all look after each other. When Paul was in hospital, you know, in my lane, somebody drove me to the hospital, um, their husband picked me up at night and took me back to their house to eat. And um, another neighbour, when I got Paul out of hospital, left a dinner on the doorstep every single day because my sister was here um, with enough for four people because she didn't know if the family were there, um, you know, didn't knock the door or anything, just left it with a note, stick it in the oven for however long and all of that. And, you know, and we were all very close here. So I, I could, not, you know, I can't in the foreseeable future see me wanting to move anywhere. You know, I love the house, but it's much more than that. I adore the people I've got in this village. Because from Paul's diagnosis to his passing was relatively short, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a month and four days. Oh, I didn't realise it was that short. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was, he'd been, he hadn't been right from probably December, um, but nothing that you would think was serious. He just was very tired and had kind of lost his sparkle. Um, and we were doing pantomime. And I actually thought, oh, perhaps it's just got too much, two shows a day. You know, I was aware he was 77, nearly 78. I thought, you know, although he always had so much more energy than anyone I've ever met, and much more than me, and I've got lots of energy. Um, I just thought, oh, well, you know, we have to accept. People say you slow down as you get older, and he hadn't before then. Um, And then I just noticed certain things that I just thought, this isn't right. He's He wasn't interested in anything and took him to the doctor and they did lots of blood tests and kept coming back with like iron deficient, vitamin D deficient. Then they thought he had pernicious anemia. So they were treating him for that and it's injections once a week. And they said, oh, in a month, you won't be able to keep up with him. And uh, But actually after the first week, he was still going downhill and then he was like sleeping all the time. And by the second injection, I thought, I don't even know if I can get him to see, um, go to see the doctor to the surgery. So I rang 
the surgery and our GP knew Paul very well. And he actually came out and he said, oh, no, Debbie, this isn't right. And we, we booked to see a neurologist, but we had to wait a little while for him to see the neurologist. And in the meantime, there was just one day after breakfast, he vomited his breakfast. And I knew that was just not a good sign. So I called an ambulance and they did a CT scan. So within two hours, they diagnosed that it was a massive, an absolutely massive brain tumour. And they were really surprised that he hadn't had more symptoms than he had. So, I mean, barely any time to adjust having had such an intense relationship mm-hmm. um, for, what, 30 years? Yeah, th- 38 I'd worked with him. 38 wow. years. Yeah. So, yeah, it's... Um, Grief is something that you can't really describe. It's different to what you think it's going to be. I, um, and it's different from losing a parent because I'd lost my dad 18 months before Paul and I was very, very close to my dad. Um, but losing a partner, you, you're losing your life in a way because you're losing the life as you knew it and your whole support blanket goes And I don't think it matters how strong you are, because I think I'm a really strong person. Um, And I looked back on different people I'd known. And I can remember my dad saying about an auntie, my Irish auntie, that she was such a strong person and led the family. But once her husband died, she completely changed. And when I lost Paul, I really understood that is that it then takes a few years to kind of build that strength up again and almost become the person you were before you were with them Mm. and that's kind of how I feel now is I don't have a pull to rely on anymore Mm. because with your partner I mean we were really were what they say is soulmates and we discussed everything every decision was made between us so and suddenly you have every decision is down to you and for you know over 30 years I'd had this person and you know we used to ring each other all the time if we weren't together and say oh listen to that on radio four or da, 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 da. and I'd be out shopping I mean even up until over a year after he died you know I'd go off to get some shopping and then I'd think of something and go to ring him and then think oh no he's not there and everybody I know that's lost somebody goes through that you know so you have to I think what I clung to is how lucky I was to have had that person in my life. And secondly, what a fantastic life I've had. I still can't believe, you know, what the life I've lived. Mm -hmm. And then you have to find a way to enjoy your life without them in it. Mm -hmm. And that's the hard bit. You were also, I mean, because, you know, your professional life was tied together, obviously your personal Mm -hmm. life was tied together. You know, it wasn't as if you could then retreat to your work as sometimes people do. Um, you know, when they lose a partner. Mm. Um, and it was quite, it was a public relationship. You didn't try, but the world struggled with your relationship for some reason with Paul. They kind of couldn't yeah. understand it. I know. I think it, well, you know, he was 20 years older than me um, and I was 29 when we got married. Um, although we've been together for quite a long time before that, but Paul was very much, no, you know, you're too young for me. And then it was, well, the press will destroy you. And I mean, the week before we got married, um, they were awful to us. And both our mothers, you know, cried their eyes out for days because of what the press were writing and making out 
about Paul's ex-wife. He'd been divorced for 18 years. You know, it was it was a really horrible time the week before we got married. Um, but we, Paul and I, I think we were so strong as a relationship. And anybody that met us in real life, live together, understood why we were together. Um, the things that people dealt with was because they didn't know us. But everybody we met who may have not liked us or, you know, didn't quite understand this relationship, when they saw us together, realised why, because we just had this incredible chemistry. Hmm. I mean, did you ever waver at the age of 29, you know, when actually Paul is saying to you, oh, this might be difficult, you're getting all this stuff, unwavering? Never. Never? What made you so sure? I just knew he was the right person for me. And life, and he would say it too, in our marriage just got better and better because you get to understand each other more. But we, you know, we both loved show business with a passion. So we understood it. We understood our job. So it it wasn't like he was coming home from work and I was a wife doing another job and we didn't understand each other's jobs. So you can't discuss it. We were excited by our work. So, you know, we would discuss things. And if we'd go and see shows, we'd, you know, constructively talk about it and things. And we wrote all our touring shows together. So, you know, we'd sit and say, yeah, and what about, but what should we follow that with? And do you remember, da, 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 da. and all, you know, all of that, the creativity was, you know, just wonderful, uh, you know, and to be able to enjoy your work with your partner, if you can get on, is actually a fantastic thing. And I always say to people when they say, oh, I don't know how you work with your husband, you know, 24 hours a day. And I said, well, we did have a line that that's work and now we're at home. We did have a line. But um, I think that when you're working with your husband as well as living with them, that where other couples who were married for 50 years and they both went off to work at 7.30 in the morning and got back at 7.30 at night and then had a few hours in the evening and weekends and holidays together, Paul and I got to know each other much more quickly because we were just together all the time. So, we, you know, it's we were like we were married for 50 years when we were only married for probably 10 yeah. with the amount of time we spent together. So that's how I describe it. And in that, did you still manage to keep a, a sort of romantic attraction? Yeah, always. Really? I mean, we did. We made each other laugh. We always had dates, you know, where if one of us was working in London, the other one wasn't. I'd get the train in and meet Paul and go for dinner. Um, he was very good at keeping the romance alive. He was a very romantic man. So, you know, I was telling a friend the other day of, um, so I don't, I haven't really, I never used to talk about our life because Paul and I were people that just live for today. We didn't really look ahead or look back and we never looked back. And um, I was saying about, because I've just had a bir- my birthday on Halloween, and I was saying every birthday he spoiled me. Um, you know, even if we were working, he made my birthday really special. And one year when we were recording the Magic series, um, you know, we worked seven days a week for months when we were doing those. So we'd record Friday and Saturday, you know, all day and all night in the studio and then get to bed about one o'clock, get up on a Sunday and go into the rehearsal room for the briefing for the next week's content. But so we got to bed this Saturday or Sunday morning about one. And he said, do you want the good news or the bad news? He said, the good news is 
that I've, I've got a day off for your birthday tomorrow. But the bad news is you've got to get up at seven o'clock and wear something stylish, but with comfortable walking shoes. And he flew me to Paris for lunch. Ooh, you know, wow. you know, he other men hated him because <laughs> he, did, he did all sorts of things that were just so wonderful. You know, one day he said to me, um, and it sounds so corny, but you know, that's the sort of man he was. He said, I wish I'd never married you. You know, I went, What? And he went, and then we could do it again. Oh. You know, so he was a very special person to live with. Yeah. It's, oh, you know, lovely. it's so lovely to hear, isn't it? Because we do kind of make assumptions about what is right, what is not right. Funny, I was just reading a story about Cher, who is mm. 76, and she's gone out with a guy who's 36. And, of course, that puts everyone into a tailspin. How can <laughs> yeah. this possibly be the case? You know, this is weird, et cetera, et cetera. And in typical Cher fashion, she says, what is it? Love doesn't do maths. Um, <laughs> you know, which is quite a good retort, isn't it? Um <laughs> And, you know, people said, oh, there's 20 years age difference between them. And, and look, she's so glamorous. And, you know, with all due respect to Paul, maybe he's not so so much yeah. of a hunk. And the old Mrs. Merton content, uh, comment, you know, about what attracted you millionaire uh, Paul Daniels. But it worked. Mm. Yeah, it's that's what you can't ever dis chemistry is chemistry. chemistry and then it's working at a relationship and relationships about giving the other person what they need and I think when they go wrong it's you start to need something different and the other person hasn't worked that out yet and Paul and I had because of course we had ups and downs and arguments everybody does but we had this theory of it's not give and take it's give and give because when you get cross with a partner it's usually because you've expected something of them that they don't give you and you know so you have to tell them mm-hmm. <laughs> and make sure they do it <laughs> you know so that, that's how we kind of lived our lives you know he put the rubbish out and made the bed because I hate making beds <laughs> you know and I, I know that sounds quite trite but you know in a relationship, it's the small things mean so much more than big things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you just have to be wary, I suppose, of getting into that transactional um, mm. kind of mindset, whether, you know, they didn't do that, so I'm not doing this. And if they don't do that, yeah. I'm not going to do that. And then you can, mm. you can sort of incrementally move apart from each other rather than your theory of give and yeah. give. It kind of takes you closer to each other. Yeah, it's a bit like, you know, I feel sorry for a lot of youngsters these days because I think that our age group were brought up much more about looking after your parents when they're older and things like that and um, doing things for other people. And I think a lot of there's lots of lovely youngsters out there now, but I think there's a lot that because of things they see on TV that, that it's all about, you know, becoming successful without working at it, just wanting money and a big house and a big car. And I think that's why there's so much stress going on, because even through my grief, one of the ways I got through really bad days was go and do something for somebody else. Mm. Because then I didn't think about me. And I heard you talking earlier, Kay, about having this strictly come down. Well, you know, you really aren't the only one. Everybody who does strictly goes through that. But not you. You got to the final. I know, but I still went through a big come down. 
because you have weeks and weeks and weeks of being totally absorbed in the show and learning and not really thinking about much else because you can't because you're learning all those steps and everything and this whole bubble of them everyone on the program wants you to do well and you are the center of attention for that however long you're in it whether it's the first week you're out or the final and then suddenly that's all gone you know no one's running to get you a coffee anymore and nobody's kind of puffing you up to say come on you can do it as we know they're lovely they all do it but suddenly that all stops and I did the arena tour afterwards as well and um you know at the end of it I I probably for about three weeks I felt totally lost and just dropped that's how you feel don't you a bit empty And um, I spoke to actually the year I did Strictly in between the final and starting the arena tour, I did Panto in York and I was sharing a dressing room with um, an older actress from Home and Away and she'd done the Australian Strictly. And uh, she said, oh, she's because I'd literally I did the final on the Saturday night and I opened in the Panto on Sunday matinee. And uh, she said, oh, she said, you're, you're going, what would she had this saying of um, missing your partner? You know, she said, oh, it's awful because you've spent every day with them for either weeks or months and suddenly they're not there. Um, so you are, you know, I just bear with it. It goes, but it is, there is, it's, um, you know, just take my number. And every time you're feeling weird, give me a ring because <laughs> it really is everybody. And some people who go out quite early have needed some psychological help because it's such a big thing. And unless you've done it, you don't understand it. Well, I bet it sounds so trivial, doesn't it? You know, doesn't it? But I mean, we're human beings, you know, we're human beings. And when you're a part of something that's the number one Saturday night show, you know, which Paul and I were for years and years and years, you know, something like 15 years. Um, you know, but at the end of it, we were always still together at the end of the series. Mm. And when we stopped doing them, we were still together mm-hmm. and we were still famous and still working. And although you still are and you're still working, it's it's not the same. No. You know, you're not having, we know how spoiled we were. You have cars pick you up. You know, everybody tells you where you've got to be, when you've got to be. There isn't a minute to even breathe, is there? So, to be honest, I didn't have long to get used to it, Debbie. Yeah. (laughs) You know, it will last for a little, and it will, it'll last for quite a while. What what got you out of your slump then after the come down? I mean, what brought you back up to feeling okay about things? Just saying, well, I just do, you just get on with life, you know. Mm. I just thought, right, I understood why I felt like it. Because it is all and, consuming, as you said, and then yeah. suddenly you're you on your own. Say what's important in your life. Mm. It's I, not that. I would have thought all. for you, though, the bigger decision would be deciding to do it because it was what, a, a year or so after Paul had died, mm. you must have still been very raw at that stage. I was, yeah, very. What what um, made you think, right, this is the thing for me to do now? Um, Paul had always wanted me to do it. Oh. Oh. And I love music. And I just thought, 
it's an opportunity that might not come my way again. I didn't realize at the time that it would have such a big effect on my life because really, thank you strictly because people see me through different eyes until then, you know, most people thought I was just this bimbo assistant and actually hadn't realized behind the scenes with Paul how much I did and, da, 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 and, and that I had a talent of my own. And, you know, I was brought up by an Irish father and uh, a mother who had Scottish background. So, you know, I, I know what it's like. We don't want to sound big headed, but everything is quite nice. Um, but, you know, I think people could see that actually I wasn't just a magician's assistant. So although I'd had my own radio show for 12 years and I'd done loads of other stuff, unless people had seen me doing it, you know, like, uh, you know, hosting awards and things like that. Um, I think it just I got treated very, very differently after doing Strictly and still do. Mm. But you must also have had a real love of of dance because, you know, you were a trained uh, ballet, ballet dancer yeah. from, from yeah. an early age and, and you you practice your craft at a very high level. Um, in that way, was dance and movement some kind of therapy for you? I mean, it's not therapy for me, it's trauma because, you know, it's just not in my bones at all. But if it was in your bones, mm -hmm. did yeah. that make you feel nice, you know, yes, after such a really, It's a really good way of putting it, Kay, great question. Um, I hadn't, you know, I gave up all my dancing when I started working with Paul because I couldn't, the two careers were crossing. Um, and so I had to choose one or the other. So I gave up earlier than I would have given up. And the, so yeah, it was, and it also, I did think, well, I don't know how much I can do because I hadn't danced for actually nearly 40 years. Wow. So I did think, although I've done yoga and Pilates and kept myself fit, it's not the same as dancing. And also their dancing was so different to the training I had. Um, so, yeah, uh, there's something that happens to me when the music starts and I start to dance. There's something inside that is just pure and utter joy. Mm. And, you know, there's moments where, like I can remember the beginning of my foxtrot, um, you know, Giovanni opened a door and walked down some steps and then we went into a ballroom hold and the music I just loved so much it was isn't isn't she lovely um Stevie Wonder but I can remember the tingles I had just going into the hold and that as we moved just what comes from within I don't know what it is but there's something for me that I feel is just completely magical mm. and I didn't feel that for magic however much I loved working with Paul magic was his passion uh -huh. dance was mine mm. and so strictly brought all of what I had when I was young to kind of back and then it was just trying to see how much I could improve mm. that each week but it wasn't about winning it was about just enjoying oh no I, I totally I I I, well, I don't mean I accept that. It's not for me to accept or not, but I totally understand that. Um, and it's it's really interesting to hear you um, talking about dance as, as somebody who clearly had a great talent mm -hmm. for it and felt that joy because that's what made me kind of want to do it because I've seen that joy in people as they've moved, but I've never experienced it. But I've seen it and 
that's what I thought I'd, I'd love to feel oh. what that feels like. Um, I, I don't think I ever, I mean, I didn't and I don't know if I, I ever would, but I recognise it as a thing. And particularly after you'd lost Paul, I maybe I'm being a bit romantic, it was just not like me. Did it kind of make you feel a bit alive again? Yeah, totally. It, it made me smile from within, not just on the surface is how I can describe it. And I think because I've always been a performer, it also allowed me to really perform. So I, there was so much that I got out of it. And I think for someone, I mean, I think you did absolutely brilliantly, Kate. <laughs> I did, really, you did. Honestly, you can be very proud of yourself because... I don't know how all of you who've never danced in their lives pick up those steps and get, you know, as good as you get in such a short space of time. You know, I I know how to pick up steps and it was hard. Mm-hmm. And I was always quick at picking up steps. I, I've just, I thought you did amazingly because I think each year, the, the first week, the standard goes up and the second week, it's it's much higher than it used to be years ago. Mm. Um, so I think for you, you should just think how proud you should be of yourself. And, you know, I can't do your job and all your training in journalism and everything else, but that's your passion. And that's where you probably get the joy that I get out of performing because it doesn't have to be dancing. I just love performing. Yeah. It's different. And you were so out of your comfort zone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, you know, and, and hey, you just went for it. Yeah, well, that's really kind of you to say so. Uh, and, and I hope that does kind of, you know, come down, you know, that I settle in mm. that in that place. Um, you certainly were. I mean, you weren't a dancer. But it is always said that. such an intense, and you just can't help, at this stage, you still can't help thinking, why did I do this? Why did I do that? Why did I? You think, oh, look, the Tony Adams, well, how is he doing much better than I did? And, you know, I've just got to let that go. He's got he's got this comedic personality that for years on not every year but odd years like Anne Widdicombe couldn't dance, mm. John Sargent certainly couldn't dance, mm-hmm. but they stayed in for weeks and weeks and weeks because they lifted people up because they've got these funny personalities and particularly in today's climate with everything that's going on, people need that lift. So they will vote to keep them in, you know, whether it's right or wrong, it doesn't matter, but it, it gives them something because yeah, they make them laugh. Yes. They want to see Tony make the mistakes. I mean, right. he's such a char, my goodness, but people want to see it because it makes them laugh because he tries so that's good, but he doesn't care that he's gone wrong. I wonder if he's yeah. still enjoying himself. Yeah, I think so. I, I think he's a lovely man, actually. He's a, he's a really lovely man. And yeah. the thing is, I don't think you can go into it thinking of some sense of fairness. That's not what it is. All no, about. it isn't. What it's an entertainment either, isn't it? And that's if it was fair, everybody would be at an equal level when they start. Yes. And that's not what the program is. Yeah, you're right, actually. You're right. And you'd all do the same dance every week so that you could be compared. Yes. Yes. But it isn't. You know, so it can never be fair. And that's why it's so entertaining. Yeah. And we're all grown ups and we make our decision to to do it. Nobody forces you to do it. And, you know, it's it's been there a long time. So. I know lots of people in the business who've been asked to do it who've said no. And, you know, well, you had the balls 
to do it. Good for you. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and on that, Debbie, had you yeah. been broached before when no. Paul was still alive? Oh, really? Yeah. No, my agent had put me up for it about three or four times, but I oh, right. never got chosen. Isn't that funny? Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. It came along just but at the right time then, didn't it? It did. And you see, I live my life by thinking things happen for a reason. When you don't get what you want, there's something around the corner. And with Strictly, that certainly was the case. For years, I'd wanted to do it. Oh. And, you know, Paul did it in 2010. Oh, did and he? I, thought, oh. I went, you know, to, he he went out in the second week, second or third week. So I went every week to the studio and I thought, oh, they might see my face. I might get chosen in a couple of years' oh. time. But no. But you see, for my life, when I got it, it was... That couldn't have been a better timing. Yeah. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. You know, well, it's led well, to so many things. Yeah. That I would never have got asked to do if I hadn't have done Strictly. Yeah. I mean, so many jobs. You know, unfortunately, some of them were in the pandemic and didn't come off. But, you know, the fact that I did them and I've auditioned for a couple of musicals and I don't really think I'm a singer, but I got them, um, you know, and things. And I auditioned for something I really wanted to get and I didn't get it in 2018. And, um, and then I got offered this Strictly Christmas show. But then I danced with Kevin and I won um, where if I got the other job I really wanted, I wouldn't have been able to do it. Mm. So it's yes. all of that. You know, just, I think with life, you really have to think, yeah, we have to deal with things that are really tough to deal with. But uh, most of life, you can't you've got no control. You have to just allow yourself to go with it. Mm. So where are you now in life? I am. Totally content, Kay. I think I know what I want to get out of life. I still love working. And um, so I would continue to do so as long as people want me. But I don't want to work all the time because Paul and I hardly ever had holidays. He just wanted to work for all the time. I'm quite happy to go off and have a week's holiday or a weekend away with friends and things and not work every single day of the week. I'm I'm enjoying that. My mum's getting older and needing a bit more comfort. Company. So I'm loving the fact I've got the time to go over and be with her because she lives not far from me, but it's like an hour, an hour and a quarter. So you can't just pop in for a coffee. Um, and yeah, and just kind of smelling the roses a bit more, as, as they say. I've got wonderful friends um, and I like... Although I've been in show business all my life and I do love the odd premiere or whatever, I think what I love about life is the real people. Mm. And I that's what I'm enjoying, really. And would you be open to another relationship? Do you know, I just don't know mm-hmm. is the answer, really. And what I said to somebody who asked me that the other day, which I think is really true, if I met somebody that I had a real charisma with, then I, I'm not going to say no because I don't know how much longer I'm going to live. And I do believe in enjoying every day as much as you can that day. Um, we all have bad days and there's nothing you can do about that. But if so, if I met somebody that I really felt a charisma with, I'm, I'm not going to push them away. But until now, I just haven't met that person. So... If there's somebody out there, I believe life will bring me to them at the right time. Mm. But it, at the moment, without that, 
I don't feel there's a void. You know, there isn't in my life. I don't think, oh, I need a man or whatever. Everything I've got, I love and I love my life. So um, I'm just enjoying each day for what it brings me. Mm. So you have that sense of contentment. Totally. Totally. I just feel I'm the luckiest person in the world. I've had a wonderful family. I've got great friends. I had this fantastic marriage and career with him and did amazing things. I mean, we really did do amazing things, you know, through our lives um, together. And how lucky am I? I? I've got friends who've never been married and never had a man that they knew really loved them. You know, I've had that. If I never get it again, mm-hmm. I've had it. So therefore, I'm totally blessed, aren't I? Mm. So this is going to sound so Scottish. I can't believe I'm going to say it. <laughs> I, like miserableist. Do you feel mm. your best years are behind you? No, not at all. You don't? No, no. I don't believe in thinking that way. I can remember talking to my dad in his early 80s um, and something came up about someone's age. And my dad used to run everywhere. And like one day I got there, he was about 82. His house was quite tall. He was up a ladder on the roof. And I'm yelling at him, what do you think you're doing at your age up that ladder? You know, and dad said, well, you have to remember, your mum and I never think of age. If you think of age, you're going to get old. He said, we just live. And I never, ever forgot that. I never forgot it. And he said, don't stop me going up a ladder. I've done it all my life. If I stop doing it, I'll seize up. So, you know, so that is how I live my life. I don't, you know, I I don't believe in talking about age because I know 20-year-olds that act like old people and have got no joie de vivre. And I, I've got lots of friends now who are like heading for 90 who've got loads of energy and still going out and still doing projects and this, that, and the other, and are just full of life. So I just think, no, just stop worrying about getting old, just live. What life throws at you, it's not, um, it, it's how you deal with it. Yeah. So just don't worry about what's around the corner, that you're going to get old and you might get arthritis. Deal with it when it happens and just enjoy this now, which everyone says, enjoy the moment. But my God, it's so true. Mm-hmm. It sure is. Mm-hmm. Don't think about age, you'll only get old. I love that. I That's know it's on a, a T-shirt, that a one. It's a piece of advice, isn't it? It is. It is. Yeah. It's, you know, that's, it, you know, I think about my dad. I mean, he did die when he was 84, but he was as fit as a fiddle and full of life and playing jokes on everybody right up until the end. He, he was like Paul. We only knew for a month that he was ill. And, um, you know, so he wasn't incapacitated. And, you know, there are people, the inspiration we all get from people that lose a leg in a car accident and keep going, or all these people that are disabled and whatever, that go in for the Paralympics, you know, they're the people I look at. And in fact, in my worst days after losing Paul, um, I think I was on something like the one show and there was a Paralympian with me. And I thought, however sad and awful I feel, Mm. I will never have had up until now to deal with what they're dealing with. So how dare I ever feel sorry for myself? Mm. That sense of perspective, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm. And it's balancing it because, you know, your feelings are absolutely valid Mm -hmm. and and you're absolutely allowed to feel the absolute horror of grief. But if you could still, you know, feel other people as well and have that sense of perspective, it just kind of 
keeps you on the right yeah. side of stability. And also, Kate, if we've got a minute, um, I've got a friend who's a grief counsellor. I'm actually seeing him not for grief counselling, but tonight I'm seeing him at something. And um, he said to me that years ago that the grief counselling was that your grief diminishes with time. You know, everyone always said time heals. He said, but we don't believe that anymore. We believe your grief stays as big as it was the day they died. You have to big build a bigger life around it. And that really made sense to me. And I really know that, you know, loads of people that when someone dies, sit at home, and don't go out for a year. That's quite normal. And you cry and you think of that person all the time that you, I could easily even do that now. And I'm nearly seven years down the road. When you sit and think about them or I think of Paul performing, you can easily just become this little hermit and feel terribly sad again. So what I've chosen to do is remember him and he's always with me, but I don't, I choose my moments to recall him Mm -hmm. so that I'm not going down that black hole all the time. I'm just trying to build this bigger life around my grief. Mm. And I think in anything in life, if we feel that we are like active participants, we're making choices, we're we're having a level of control, then that generally Mm -hmm. makes us feel better. But I agree. Yeah. But if if we are just passive in the situation, then, Mm -hmm. um, you you know, that's uh, that tends to be a negative direction. Listen, we, we play a thing called Big Six O Bingo, which is just we've got 50 questions um, and we'll just pick two randomly, if you don't mind. And then number 21, what keeps you awake at night? Uh, Projects, ideas. Yeah, good. definitely. And I wake up in the night and Paul used to as well. And, you know, I've got an idea, so I need to write it down and then I'll be wide awake because I can't stop thinking about it. So, uh, you know, obviously worries if I'm worried about my mum or one of the family. But but mostly it's, yeah, projects and what I'm going to do tomorrow and all of that. Well, that is positive. That is good. And one more. (laughs) Number 35 is, well, do you have a plan for the 60 plus years? Just to live my life. Well, I can't think of a better way to end. Debbie, thank you so much. Right, I've grabbed the microphone from Kay. Send me in some questions so that I can grill her. She never gives anything away, so I need your help. Uh, The address to get in touch is podcast at htb60.com. And next week, we're joined by Carol Kirkwood. Cheerio.